journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.9 High FM. I am Adol Kazilski. And yes, we're going to go on a trip of a lifetime because we are studying the fascinating book of Genesis. And we have been delving for a long, long time now in the life of Abraham. And we're coming now to really, I think, the most pivotal point in Abraham's life, in Abraham's life. And that is the various verses that pertain to the binding of Isaac. And I think that we need to build a little bit of a uh, scenario around it and actually understanding a lot of the text because there are many, many seemingly inconsistent uh, comments, words, questions, and things being said throughout this entire binding that actually would, would um, demand a biblical scholar to go and say, why is the Torah, why is the Bible saying it the way it is? As always, you have to read it in its original, because in reading in the original allows you to pick up all the various nuances. And of course, behind the five books of Moses, the Chamisha Chumshei Torah, as we say in Hebrew, is our entire oral teaching, which is um, midrashic, it's agadic, meaning that there are stories and there are Ideas behind it, and of course there is the Hasidic and Kabbalistic meanings to it as well. And this couple of verses, which actually is, it's chapter 22 of Genesis, for anybody who would like to follow in. Um, this chapter in and of itself um, plays a pivotal role in our, our davening, in our prayer, because we actually read this section um, on Rosh Hashanah, on the, the first day of our New Year in Shul. Um, it is a day of judgment, and our rabbis deem that it is good to recall the Akedah, the binding, which also, we are told, took place on Rosh Hashanah. And we are told further that all the merits of the Jewish people stems from this act that Abraham did in, and I'm putting in inverted commas, sacrificing his son. Also, because it is so central to uh, our philosophy and the way that we approach God, and very actually many, many ideas, we actually read this every single morning. It's in the introduction to the morning service, which we, we read uh, daily. We're also told that whenever there is a time of trouble, we should recite this chapter, and, and just like God had mercy on Abraham at the last minute, and he did not sacrifice his uh, son, so too, if we are in a time of trouble, we should read this verse with a lot of kavanah, with a lot of concentration, with a lot of intent, and God will um, help us. We're also told that one... Um, should shed tears if one is reading it in time of, of, of trouble and one should contemplate that he himself is ready to suffer martyrdom rather than disobeying God and this is uh, very meritorious for us and just like God at the nth degree 
um, changed gevura, changed strictness and judgment and so to call punishment into chesed, into kindness and allowed Abraham not to kill his son, so too when we pray that way, we too are able to change things around. Um, so this, this Akeda, this concept of Abraham being taken to, t- taking his son Yitzchak to a, a mountain on which he was, so to speak, to be slaughtered and sacrificed to God is is fundamental and really I think that we can spend many, many weeks looking at the different nuances and ideas that that there is. What I'd like to do though is I would like to just take a step back and understand the ten um, the ten the ten uh, trials and tribulations that Abraham did in fact go through uh, or, or and went through and eventually arrived at the tenth tri- uh, trial and tribulation, which is the Akeda. So let's just go through it quickly because these are the ones that we have discussed at length in our other uh, discussions. The first of his ten tests was the terrifying experience he had in Ur Kasvim when Nimrod cast Abraham into the fiery furnace. The second was when God came and said to Abraham, Lech Lecha, leave your parents, leave your family. It obviously was exceedingly difficult. Today we find immigration difficult. Can you imagine for Abraham to leave family and friends and go to a strange city and to a destination that was not indicated for him? That was his second test. The third test was when he arrived in the land of Israel. He hadn't spent too much time there and God sent a famine in the land of Canaan. And while the rest of the world had enough, Canaan didn't have anything, and Abraham did not want to go back to his father, so he descended into Egypt. Again, a very difficult test. You just emigrate, and six months later, or a short while later, God is telling, uh, not God, but you realize you have to leave because economic conditions aren't good. Then the fourth one was when Abraham comes to Egypt, Pharaoh seizes Sarah, and has him brought, has her brought to his harem. That was a test which, thank God, she managed to survive. The fifth test was when he comes back to the land of Israel and the four kings come to kill him and they say, let's start with his nephew Lot and Abraham will attempt to rescue him and we'll take him. And then we know Lot is taken captive together with other citizens of Storm and Gomorrah and Abraham has to wage war against the four, the four large armies. Yes, he does survive, and he comes out of it uh, victorious, but that was a test. The sixth test, we are told, is when God made a pact with Abraham. It was called the Brit Ben Haptarim, the pact between the halves, where God chose Abraham every exile that his descendants would suffer, as well as the punishments of purgatory, and he says to him to choose one of the two. That was um, We've already gone through that as well. The seventh test was when God commands Abraham to circumcise himself at 99 years old. You can just imagine, it must have been a very painful operation since he was so old and he still wished to have a son, but he did it. The eighth was when he then lands in the lands of Plishtim and Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife or brings Sarah again into his home and by force. And the ninth test was when um, Isaac grew up, Sarah sees Ishmael being 
you know, practicing uh, archery on Yitzchak, etc., etc., and he and she tells Abraham, you have to banish Hagar and Yishmael away. That was the ninth one, and now we arrive at the tenth one, which is the test of the Arkada, and now he's told after. All that he's gone through, he's 137 years old, that he now has to go and sacrifice the son that he has waited for, for his entire life. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Well, welcome back. And we were discussing before the break the 10 tests that Abraham actually had to go through. And as I explained to you, when you're, act- when you're learning a paragraph or you're learning a couple of verses in the Torah, one needs to understand that the verses are, are merely the icing at the top of a huge, huge cake. And there's a tremendous amount of information, of teaching, of instruction, and of mysticism behind um, everything that happens. And just, just to give you a bit of a taste... The number 10 in Judaism is very, very important, and it, it, it comes up all the time. And the, the, the Midrash Me'am Lo'es is the following, that God gave Abraham 10 tests. And because he gave him 10 tests, there are 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And we know that these are important days. It's, it's days where we spend a lot of time, time in prayer, a lot of time in repentance, and they parallel Abraham's ten tests uh, through which God chose Abraham and gave us all the advantages we enjoy as Jews. So we kind of go and repair and correct and connect ourselves in the ten days of Naseris Yemeha Tshuva, um, based on the fact that Abram himself went through ten tests and he overcame them all. Why? Because you will see that throughout the description that we are going to read, Abraham never questioned God's judgment. He did everything God wanted with an incredible, incredible love. Didn't say, why me? That's not fair. Or come on, find someone else. Or I don't like this. Or I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time? No. Anything that God tested him with, he accepted with great love. And just like he didn't uh, question God's judgment, so too during the 10 days when we are asking God to write us down into the book of life, we're not necessarily questioning God's judgment, but we are asking God to elicit the same mercy he had um, and allow us to overcome all the challenges that we have in front of us and that we are indeed the children of Abraham and in his merit we should be written for a good year. We're also told that the ten tests that Abraham went through are paralleled in the ten sayings with which the world was created. Now, if you go back, way back in the podcast, we started with Genesis. We spoke about the ten sayings. They're called the Asama Amarot. It's the ten times that God said at the beginning of creation, Vayomer Hashem, and God said. Now, um, why is there a parallel between the ten times God said and created and the ten tests? So we're told this shows that the world was created for the sake of Abraham. And there is a mystical connection between the two. We also know that there were ten generations from Adam to Noah, from Adam to Noah, 
and that God held back his wrath during this period and he was waiting for mankind to to take it upon themselves. He was giving them a chance to change their ways. But as we know, and again, revert back to my podcast, humanity as we know remained wicked and in the end, everybody was wiped out save of Noah. Now, Noah, therefore, um, we are told, and we again discussed this at length too, that he didn't have enough merit to save others. And so only him and his family uh, survived. But now there were ten generations from, uh, from Noah to Abraham. And although the ten generations from Noah to Abraham also became wicked, Abraham was of a much greater saintly stature, and he was able to lecture them and get them to change their ways. And so through Abraham, he managed to get God to spare the entire world, because as we know, you can see that Abraham doesn't even want the wicked to die, but rather to repent, and that's what he did in his last mission. He went out and he embraced humanity and brought them back to God. And then paralleling Abraham's ten tests and the, the, the merit thereof, God performed ten miracles for the Israelites of Egypt and then another ten miracles at the Red Sea. And then seven weeks later we got the ten commandments. So what we see over here that is that the number ten is very, very pertinent and each pivots off the other in terms of either giving us strength to overcome what we needed to overcome or to elicit mercy based on Abraham's behavior or getting down outright reward because of Abraham's incredible uh, self-sacrifice in doing God's will. If we ever want to understand um, what it what it means to suffer and how to accept it with love and how to go beyond it and actually change your muzzle, then Abraham's the man. Abraham um, is the guy that we need to look at where we can gain our inspiration. And this is what we're doing right now. So, as I said, there are many, many um, questions that need to be asked about the whole sacrifice of uh, of, of Yitzchak and I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes going through the 19 verses just to give you a background to understand what we're talking about and then we'll go back and we'll go verse by verse and we'll dissect it and understand it a little bit more anybody who'd like to follow in the Bible you can in the Chumash it's chapter 22 it's verses 1 to 19 to Yutet, um, and they go as follows Excuse me. After these events, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he replied, Here I am. God says, Take your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go away to the land of Moriah. Bring him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will designate to you. So Abraham got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two young men with him, along with his son Yitzchak. He split the burnt offering wood, set out, and headed for the place that God had designated for him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Abraham said to the young men, You stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go to that place. We will prostrate ourselves, and we will return to you. Abraham takes the burnt offering wood and placed it on his son Yitzhak. 
In his hand he took the fire and the slaughter knife, and the two of them went together. Yitzchak spoke up to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And, and Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Yitzchak says, Here's the fire and here's the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says, God will send, will see to a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them went together. Abraham comes to the place where God has designated to him and he builds the altar and arranges the wood. And he then binds his son Yitzchak and places him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham then stretches forth his hand and took the slaughter knife to slit his son's throat. And an angel of God calls from the heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, Hineni, I am here. The angel says, do not put forth your hand on the lad. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. You have not withheld your son your only son from me. So Abraham lifts his eyes and he sees a ram after it was caught in the thicket of its horns. Abraham went, took the ram and sacrifices it a burnt offering in his son's place. Abraham named the place God will see. Today it is therefore said on God's mountain he will be seen. And the angel of God then calls to Abraham from heaven a second time and says, I have sworn by myself, declares God, that you have performed this act and you did not hold back your son, your only one. I will greatly bless you and increase your offspring like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will inherit the gates of its enemies and all the nations of the earth will bless themselves through your descendants because you obeyed my voice. And Abraham then returns to his young men and together they set out and they go to Beersheba and Abraham remains in Beersheba. There are a numerous amount of difficulties with this entire passage. And I'm just going to throw a whole lot of questions at you just to give you a taste of how one needs to learn Torah. When one is looking at verses, you kind of like by me reading it have pictured in your mind Abraham gets the message, take his son, he travels three days, he leaves two guys at the bottom of a mountain, goes up to the mountain, about to sacrifice the, the boy, uh, he, uh, God, God stops him, he finds a lamb, he sacrifices him, he goes back, and that's the end of the story. But if you actually look inside the verses, there are many inconsistencies and many questions. And I'm going to ask them now just to show you that we can't accept things on face value we need to delve deeper to understand more of the 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 the, the flesh um, behind behind it. So the first question is, why does it say achar advarim ha'ele and after these events? Isn't that redundant? Uh, like we know what happened with the events. We just finished up with Avimelech in Beersheba. Why do you have to say after these events? That's it's a redundant statement. Second. Why did God have to test Abraham? If God is God and he knows man's deepest thoughts and his character, why should he have tested him? He knows what God, what Abraham's, what's happening in Abraham's heart. He knows what's happening in Isaac's heart. So why test human beings? It's a, it's a fundamental question. It's an existential question. Why do you have to test me? You know God if you are my failures and you know my positive traits. Why do you have to test me? You'll know whether I'm going to fail or not. Thirdly, why did Abraham 
Why did God speak to Abraham so secretively? He didn't tell him which mountain he had to go to. Next, if Abraham had to go to one of these mountains, why did he bother carrying wood on a three-day journey? Okay, could he just not have found wood at the mountain? And why does the Torah have to inform us that he split the burnt offering wood? What difference if he used split wood or not? Okay, why do you have to go and call it also the burnt offering wood? What? Who cares what type of wood it was? Does it make any difference? Next question, why did it take Abraham three days? He was traveling from Hebron to Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem. It's an eight-hour walk. It's a 20-minute car drive today, 20, 30 minutes of traffic. Three days it takes you. Why did it take you so long? Here's another question. Why does it say he saw the place from afar? If God hadn't told him where to go, how could he have seen the place? What does that mean? Then, why did Abram tell his servant boy, stay here with the donkey? What did he mean by this? If he brought them this far, why is he making them stay at a place? If you didn't need them, why did you take them with in the first place? Then, if Abraham knew, and he did, because God told him that his intention was to sacrifice his son, how could he say to the boys, we will prostrate ourselves, prostrate ourselves, and we will return to you. We will return to you, he said. But you knew the intention was that you actually had to go sacrifice Yitzchak. So you should have said, I will return to you. Then, why does he make Yitzchak carry the wood? You had a donkey with you. Why, why, why give your son a neck ache? Let the donkey carry it. Next one. Why does the Torah keep on repeating the expression, and the two of them went together? Even the first expression of that is redundant, because Abraham already had told the others, stay here with the donkey. So we knew that the two of them were together. So you now say to us, the two of them were together, and then later again you say, and the two of them went together. Then the Torah says, um, he said, my father, and Abraham says, here I am, my son. Okay, how is it that he doesn't know where he is? He's standing right next to his father. So why is he going, Dad, where are you? That Dad has to say, here I am. And then he says, here's the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the lamb offering? Why, why would he be asking all these questions? When two people go camping, surely they know what they're taking with them in the first place. Like, surely there was some type of collaboration. Like, why this naivety in asking that? Then, the Torah says, Abraham built the altar. But it appears, if you look carefully into the verses, that an altar had already existed there, and Abraham was just rebuilding it. So why did he not build a new altar? You know, would that have been better? Like, what's going on? Now, it says a further thing that the Torah says an angel of God called to him from heaven. Well, we know that angels live in heaven. And if the angel is bringing a message from God, then why did God not speak to him himself? And if the angel had descended and spoken to him, why did the angel have to call out his name? Abraham, Abraham. Isn't once enough? Now we also know that the angel said he saw a ram after it was caught in the thicket by its horns. 
Why do we care how the ram was caught? Just say you saw a ram. What difference does it make how it landed up in the place? And why does the Torah say he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in his son's place? Obviously, it was sacrificed instead of his son. If you're following the story, it makes sense. And then at the end, you're going to go and see. It says that Abraham returned to his servant's point. Then what happened to Yitzchak? I thought in the beginning you said we're coming back together. And finally, why does it say that Abraham goes to Beersheba when he didn't ret- when when he actually travelled from Hebron? So here I have spent now ten minutes taking the nineteen verses that I read to you and showed you that there are so many inconsistencies and so many words that we actually cannot under any circumstances accept these verses on face value. And that is the beauty of Torah. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And we have more questions than we have answers. And I think before we even delve into all those these answers and Heck, I'm not going to be answering all of these questions today, that's for sure. I want to just still take a step back and understand a little bit more conceptually what a Kedas Yitzhak, the sacrifice of Yitzhak, was really all about. What, what precipitated this test and what was God trying to do um, and what did he want to achieve by testing Abraham? Just imagine, and I'm sure that many of the people that I'm speaking to out there, your parents, imagine a higher force coming and telling you that in order for you to show your love of your child and your love of your God, you have to sacrifice your child. It's it's genetic, it's inbred in every stable parent to almost give up our own lives in order to ensure the lives of our children, that they continue to exist. We'll go to the ends of this world in order to ensure the viability of our children. And if God comes and says, sacrifice yourself so your child may live, I think that's understandable. And the parent would be happy to do that. The other way around, especially when you are 137 years old, You've lived a long life. You've lived a productive life. You have an incredible name. You have wealth. You have everything. And for God to come and tell that of Abraham, who was the epitome of chesed, goes completely against the grain of a parent. And furthermore, goes completely against the grain of Abraham, who was the epitome of kindness and sensitivity. And even more so, goes against everything that Abraham had gone through because God had promised him that he will be um, a, a massive nation, as many as the stars of the sky and of the sand of the sea. And now you're telling him to take the only chance of that ever coming to fruition and sacrificing it. So how do we actually understand it all? And really I think that the question more then 
is to really, really understand what a test is all about. And this is really, um, and it's, it's uncharted waters because it's, it's, it's an existential question that people ask. Why is God testing me? What is he wanting from me? Why has he put me in that difficult situation? And today, I think particularly because we're able to be connected with humanity across the globe, um, we tend to see far more struggle and far more, um, and all the trials and the tribulations that there are in the world. And we're also able to connect with people who have gone through horrific and soul-destroying experiences um, and to understand and see how incredible a majority of them come out of it. One of, one of the, the, I, the, the things that is coming to my mind now, and perhaps timely so because I think it's now the sixth year side of just this last week, this last couple of days, um, where we watched in horror how three Jewish boys were abducted by Palestinian terrorists and how the entire world, not only the parents, but the entire world came together um, in order to, to pray and to, to ask for the, 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 the peaceful recovery of the three boys only to um, find out that they unfortunately had got murdered. But you look today at the mothers um, and how they have become an absolute inspiration to the world because this horrific experience actually brought out um, soul powers, connected sensitivity that I think has, was unprecedented, that probably one could actually never even tap um, if one did not go through such a, a trial and tribulation. Having said all of that, um, of course, the first port of call is to say to God, please don't test me, please don't give me that trial, please don't give me that tribulation, um, I will come to the party without it. But God knows uh, the human being, and uh, we know ourselves, that when we don't face a trial or a tribulation, big or small, we don't ever, ever... Um, allow our minds to wrap about around like what should we be doing what how should we be connected to God what can I do more for God today as soon as we have all our wants and needs met we kind of relegate God to a place on the bookshelf or hidden somewhere dusty in a cupboard and he never really comes out it is only when we are faced with difficulty that we we start asking the questions and so we are told that all these trials and tribulations that we go through in our lives um, were in fact tested and tried on Abraham. And God God tested Abraham for his own benefit. Why? He wanted to show Abraham how powerful he in fact was, how strong um, he, he, want, he, he was. And God isn't a cruel God that comes out and punishes just for the sake of punishment, I think that that is a very naive and uh, very subjective way of looking at it, but rather that God comes out because he wants to grant us even more good and he wants us 
to to be the recipients of that good. But in order to do that, we need to create that relationship. It's a lesson of faith. And gee, how how more timeless must we discuss this type of idea now when we are sitting for the last five, six months in a world gone topsy-turvy and where trials and tribulations have become very much part of every individual life, has become very much part of community life, our life in our country, and in the world at large. We are seeing so much suffering. We are seeing so many people going through so many difficult things. And really, the, it, it, it kind of like begs the existential question, what is going on? Is God punishing us? Um, I have to... I feel compelled to... To, to bring another point of view that has been brought, um, you know, through teaching, um, and, and many, many discussions, um, on, in, in, on, through the internet and, and Zoom meetings, etc. um, that, that, that I vacillate very much with, with those rabbis and thinkers and people. It's not only the religious, uh, you know, sector, but people who are able to think deeply to understand that these are not trials and tribulations. If we look at our difficulties in life and see them as trials and tribulations, then I fear that we are looking at them through very naive, very childlike, childlike eyes. We need to look at these trials and tribulations as challenges, as opportunities for growth and for expansiveness. And when we look at the cup half full and not half empty, we then are able to see that everything that is happening to us right now is in fact for the good. In fact, it is for the very good. I'm going to pick up this thread a little bit more just after the break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we don't have too much time left together, so I want to wrap up this idea, and I think it's an idea that, you know, every single human being has to think about and, and really, um, investigate, because, and I, th- because, simply because of where we are right now, where, what we are facing right now in the world. I think more than ever now, we've got all this trial and tribulation happening, and I think that those that believe that it's a punishment, that things are bad, are only going to fall into more despair, are only going to increase their anxiety and their fear, are going to become non-functional, and they're going to wither much more than they already have. When one looks at challenges in life, trials and tribulations in life, as as, as just that, a challenge, where it calls upon us to look much deeper inside of ourselves and overcome it, find, find skills, find, find the ability of things that we never knew we had inside of ourselves and use those to overcome it and grow out and be a, a much more expansive person, then we like Abraham, our forefather, and the forefather of the nations of the world, we emerge greater, bigger, more powerful, more sensitive, etc. 
And so this is the message I want to leave with you today. Next week we'll go into the particulars and an understanding of the various questions that we have. But for today, ponder Abraham and ponder, put yourself in his shoes and actually gain inspiration as to the complete dedication that he had to a higher cause, a love that he expressed that he never ever asked, why me? This is not fair. This is so painful. I don't want to do it. He didn't ask any of those questions. Not saying that you shouldn't ask those questions, but maybe we need to derive that lesson from Abraham right now, that to look at our sphere of influence, look at our circumstance and say, I have the following tests in my life. What can I do to grow and make things better? Because I believe when we hear the message behind the test and the trial and the tribulation, when we challenge ourselves, we actually overcome it. And all that seemingly looks negative will actually be turned into incredible positivity. Have a wonderful day.